Welcome to For the Record with Daniel Fontaine, where we focus on civic and urban issues impacting New Westminster and beyond. For the Record puts it on the record, when and where it counts. Now let's begin. Well, you're uh, hearing a little bit of the fireworks in the background there, and uh, hopefully everyone had a wonderful new year. Uh, it was an incredible amount of fireworks in my neighborhood, lots of uh, parties and festivities, and it's great to see that we're now into 2024. And this is the first podcast of the For the Record for 2024. I want to first of all thank everyone uh, who was very supportive in 2023, last year, when I launched the podcast in the fall. This is episode number eight. I had an um, incredible amount of feedback, very positive from people around the fact that um, I had some really great guests. I've had some incredible suggestions around future guests and topics, and please keep those coming. Uh, just reach out to me either through uh, City Hall or you can visit my website, danielfontaine.ca. Let me know the kind of guests you'd like me to bring onto the program or topics you'd like for me to tackle. I would love to have some ideas to uh, to bring those to future podcasts as we move forward. Today, I'm very pleased uh, to welcome to For the Record uh, fellow that I've worked with, that I've been friends with, I've known for a long time. He is Vancouver City Councillor Mike Clausen. I invited Mike to the podcast because I thought, um, given where we are in the calendar, I'd like to look ahead to 2024. I'd like to look in uh, kind of into our political crystal ball to see what uh, might be happening and what might be coming uh, uh, forward to us in terms of some civic issues. As well, I'm going to focus a little bit on the provincial election, which is going to be later this year in October, likely, who knows, could be in the spring, but I, I, th- I think it'll be in the fall. And that election in the fall um, is likely going to be dominated by a number of civic issues, whether it be housing or Surrey police and a whole bunch of other uh, civic issues. So I, I posed the question to Mike Clausen around uh, what type of, of civic issues does he forecast will play into that provincial election narrative. So that's a fascinating discussion, I think, in terms of some of the topic areas that, that might um, uh, pop up. I ask uh, Mike uh, about any surprises that he's had since he got elected, anything that's kind of um, he didn't uh, anticipate. Um, I, I ask him to look ahead again into the Vancouver City Hall perspective as to what some of the issues might be in terms of what might be dominating the discussion and debate. It's a great discussion. We, we covered a wide range of topics. And at the end, I did ask uh, Mike to tell us a little bit about something about himself that Perhaps uh, we didn't know, and uh, you might be surprised with uh, what uh, what he was able to to let me know in terms of some of his involvement in um, in the local film industry and such. I don't want to uh, spill all the beans. You'll have to listen to the end of the interview to to hear what Mike has to say about that. But once again, thanks for all the support of uh, the podcast. Thanks for tuning in again today. I'm really looking forward uh, to talking to uh, Mike Clausen. And I'm joined uh, here in the studio today uh, with a very special guest. His name is Mike Colossen, and Mike and I have known each other for a long time, and you'll recognize his name, no doubt, because uh, he is a city councillor in the city of Vancouver. So welcome to, uh, for the record, for the first time, uh, Mr. Councillor Mike Colossen. It's exciting to be here, Daniel. Thanks for having me on. So on uh, the podcast today, Mike, 
I thought what we could do is uh, we are, uh, this podcast is airing the first week of January. So typically around this time of the year, people look ahead. So I thought, well, I have a few questions for you. Just a, a little bit of a look ahead, but this is a special look ahead because 2024 is going to be, there's a very big event coming in 2024, and that's called a provincial election. And with that provincial election, no doubt there's going to be a lot of things that will intersect with cities and, and uh, urban urban areas. So I thought I'd touch a little bit on that today and perhaps uh, just jump right on into it and start out with um, saying that, or perhaps asking you that the election is next year. And there, I've noticed a lot of of how uh, civic issues are intersecting with the provincial, and I won't list them all right now because we're probably going to talk about those in a bit. But if you were to look ahead at three topics that you think um, might uh, kind of carry over from this uh, from 2023 over to 2024 and right into the provincial election with a civic or a city's bent to them, what would those like one, two, three topics be that you would forecast will likely play in the next election, provincial election? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think um, there are the topics that frequently get discussed by pundits and observers. Uh, and but and so some of those align with, with uh, the reality of what voters are, are experiencing and what uh, people living in Metro Vancouver are seeing. Um, and I'll, I'll say, for example, the topic of housing. I mean, it's such a big big topic. It's um, the affordability challenges, um, the supply challenges, um, the the big sort of policy moves that were all approved late in 2023 that will start to uh, unfold uh, during the, the lead up to the election is going to be something that a lot of people are observing closely. Uh, I think all municipalities are uh, right now trying to figure out how to make this work, including the city of Vancouver, and you know, kind of looking what the implications of the policy are. Um, we have taken an extraordinarily collaborative approach to the way we work with uh, the provincial government, and so I don't think that will change at all. Uh, there are probably questions that will come back to us from staff after, they, after they've had a chance to analyze. Um, I would sort of say that um, the other um, kind of big topics that are going to be coming to us uh, are probably around infrastructure um, and it, it affects directly housing. It also affects transportation, but how are we going to make sure that we can build in the places that we are, that are uh, properly um, supported with um, either water and sewer services, uh, electrical uh, grid uh, services, or just um, transportation infrastructure. And then um, I think that uh, the topic that has really been uh, quite front of mind, certainly since the municipal election, and I think there's it, it's carried through uh, this year and will, I think, right through to the October election, is around public safety. Um, and there's many parts to that. It's not just about policing, but it's also how we uh, address uh, the mental health and addictions crisis. And this is something that is so, I think uh, a lot of local governments are feeling a little overwhelmed by it, and which is why I think we need to really put our minds and work together collaboratively at all three levels of government and through communities um, to try and find solutions uh, so we can try and make sure that uh, more lives are saved and, um, <clears throat> and, uh, that the 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 burden and, uh, and pressure that happens on communities, including small business operators, in terms of vandalism and other types of things that are happening, uh, are addressed. And I think those topics are going to be right at the top. 
Um, and, and, and I think a related topic a little bit might be healthcare. And I only bring this up just because healthcare has been in the news a lot lately. Uh, healthcare is traditionally not the dominion of local government. Um, but I do think uh, over the long term, as our uh, population ages, uh, I think we're going to have to be making sure that there is uh, health care infrastructure because um, as that population does get older, it has higher needs and that eventually can affect um, you know, uh, paramedic services, policing and fire uh, rescue first responders feel the pressure and of course municipalities end up paying the cost for those in the long run so i think those are kind of the big areas mm-hmm. i mean it's, those are big topics i'm sure that uh, the people who are running uh, the various campaigns are going to really nail it down and figure out exactly what the public wants to be hearing about mm-hmm. I, I agree with you on all those topics i will add one and then i want to just quickly follow up on one of them uh, just to get perhaps a, a bit more color commentary on it. But I think the other issue that's been dominating, uh, that was dominating the news in 2023 from a civic perspective is the Surrey Police issue, the RCMP and the transition uh, over and away from the RCMP to the Surrey Police Services. I can't help but think that um, Mayor Locke and their their team have been taking out ads. They're, they're very committed to keeping this front and centre right through till next October. So I have a feeling that that will likely um, uh, play into the provincial election in some respect. It is a micro issue in Surrey, but um, it, it, it's been getting so much provincial attention that I can't help but think that that won't be on the docket. But going back to the comment you made around housing, and I fully agree with you that I think that generally the topic of housing will be there, but maybe to drill down a bit more, um, as we head to this election, um, the premiers talked a lot about uh, not only making the commitments around housing, but actually seeing things happening on the ground. We've really only got about 10 months between the time that you and I are sitting down here and the time that we're, we're going to the campaign. Is enough going to be seen from the public's perspective on the ground changes to housing and affordable housing and things that that it will kind of take that off the agenda for the provincial government or do you do you see that there'll be still a demand from the public to do more and to be more aggressive around uh, provincial policies around uh, housing development so there are I think uh, two scenarios that play out. One is how the municipalities themselves react to it. And I know that there's been some discomfort. There's a, a number of mayors who have spoken up about these policies and, 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 and asked some questions about how they're going to work. Uh, it's, it's a big paradigm shift in many ways, uh, including just the amount of new housing development is expected, the pressure it does on, um, on core infrastructure. Um, and then I also just think um, you're right. Uh, are we going to have is the is the market going to be able to respond to the approvals, the um, the speeding up of the process, um, some of the new incentives that uh, local governments have um, tried to bring in, and also um, the federal dollars that are coming, the housing accelerator fund, uh, which is you know in the hundreds of millions, uh, sort of region wide for Metro Vancouver, that is supposed to go toward helping. Uh, building more affordable and uh, non-market housing. And I I do think um, uh, while there won't be any sort of major shift in terms of um, uh, the the cost of housing, I do think the availability of housing and there'll be a lot of evidence in the coming year of more uh, development under construction. Um, In the city of Vancouver, for example, we have... 
probably eight to 10 major sites um, that over the coming years are going to be uh, developed uh, right around the city um, that are going to result in thousands and thousands of new homes being built. So if uh, city council and uh, working with staff and working with the region and uh, the development community can come together, then we can get those approvals happening and really um, work together to make sure that shovels are in the ground and development happen happens and all the needed servicing is there to make sure that uh, we can get construction built as soon as possible. Well, good comments, Mike. I, I think that, you know, that we'll, we'll see over the next uh, 10 months into the next year, there have been and will be, as I understand, uh, a series of additional announcements coming in the spring with the legislature, the final sitting of the, the legislature before it wraps up for the summer and then to the election campaign. But um, I've been watching this housing file for a long time, as have you, and I know these things move at... Um, they're me- things are progress is measured in inches sometimes not in feet or maybe I should be saying meters and centimeters um, so it'll be interesting to see if in the next 10 months on the ground where people are um, interacting with the the issue of the affordability and housing crisis whether they'll see a difference and and um, we'll see so I, I want to switch um, uh, uh, slightly switch topics but um, maybe drill down a bit more on the topic of housing itself and um, in 2024 like do you see any major progress when it comes to actually you touched on a little bit there but building more housing like more in capital like lots more housing and building it faster in places like uh, Vancouver and places like New Westminster, both our cities are very developed. There's not a lot of land, so we're going to have to go up, kind of not out. Um, and and secondly, if you could comment on the provincial tools that have been announced already, the ones that have come out uh, in the fall, how do you see those playing into uh, more and faster? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll start with the missing middle, which um, the city of Vancouver did an enormous amount of our, our planning uh team did a lot of work in developing those policies. They were approved in midsummer, and um, our initial projections was just for hundreds of applications, which doesn't sound like a lot, but I'm certain that uh, once people have a better understanding of what the opportunity is, um, then, uh, and I, I know that the development community and the home builders themselves are still kind of learning what does it mean to be able to have a, a 50-foot lot with uh, five or six um, stratified units onto it in, in a in a, in a housing form that is very familiar to us at you know peaked roof or just in like an actual uh, home on a block but with more individual housing units there um, the province um, obviously put together a policy to make that more of a, a blanket approach to for other municipalities across the the province but I'm hoping Vancouver is able to lead the way on that um, I think the transit oriented development piece is going to be very interesting um, I know that there's been um, there's always concern when we start talking about um, more um, high density and more towers. Um, you've certainly seen probably Burnaby and Coquitlam probably way out ahead in terms of um, that kind of TOD, that transportation-oriented development. Um, I don't think we're going to be seeing the same sort of size uh, of towers in uh, around our SkyTrain stations, although I do think we'll see a lot more. Um, I think of what's happening at Joy Station, for example, in the city of Vancouver. I think we're you know, into the 30-plus uh, to almost 40-story, which is still very high, 
potentially, but again, in order to be able to do that at Nanaimo uh, or 29th Avenue Station or um, in other parts of the city, I think of Renfrew and Rupert stations, um, again, the needed services are going to have to be there to be able to carry that additional housing. Um, and I think that the, the, the policies themselves, um, people will become a little more accustomed to it, partly because um, I think the whole zeitgeist has really shifted. Um, the, 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 the kind of protests that we used to see um, before this last couple of years have died down and have been really been re- replaced with very vocal advocates for more housing. And I think it's because, you know, families that currently live in housing see either friends or uh, family members that are, aren't able to attain housing, um, not being able to get into the marketplace, having to move abroad. And, and I think they, they feel um, uh, they feel strongly uh, about it and as well, obviously, the people that need housing. So uh, at the end of the day, I think um, uh, this conversation is, is kind of going in a direction where people are very pro-housing. And again, but they also want to make sure that they have some say over their communities and their neighborhoods. And um, so things like urban design, um, uh, proper amenities uh, in in the community um, uh, are going to be really important to that decision uh, towards that direction as well. Mm -hmm. And I would just add that I think um, in addition to what you've said, I think that the challenges around building more and building faster, there's two that we haven't, um, well, you touched on it a little bit and that's infrastructure. And I think that um, if we don't, in the provincial and federal governments don't wrap their head around the fact that, uh, for example, if, if we're letting in a million people over two years, that when those people move to Canada, they need housing. And when they need housing, there has to be infrastructure built with that housing, like water and sewer. And and just getting the federal and provincial governments kind of uh, focus um, beyond just the housing announcements, but also the infrastructure announcements that support the housing. So that's really critical, as, as you mentioned. The other piece that you didn't touch on, which I think is also a potential um, uh, kind of uh, a, a, difficulty or challenge around the building more and building faster is the the human resources and you and I both both used to work in healthcare and we used to talk a lot about health human resources crisis we are now facing a construction industry crisis in that we have no um, human resources to actually build all of these houses and I'm not hearing a lot about that I'm not hearing about the training programs and encouraging people um to take up the trades and also in the new immigrants that are coming in, making sure that they have um, the training and skill sets to build all these towers and middle missing housing, etc. So I am concerned about that. I, I'd, I hope in 2024, we hear a lot more about that and about more training because it doesn't matter at the end of the day, how much your council or, or council in New West approves housing. If there's nobody there to build it, it won't get built. One of the things that I'm, I've learned in the, sort of time that I've been in office the past 14 months and the the people I work with at City Hall will will be glad to hear I'm saying this is that we also have to strike a balance Um, they are uh, in many cases many of our team members in in, um, either our permitting or development and other parts of the city are working flat out right now and um, and so I think it's really um, important to understand that um, that we can apply um, more pressure to to do things more quickly, um, but we also there is a there is a place where it becomes a bit of a tipping point. So you're right. Um, we're going to need more 
boots, <laughs> more boots on the ground, literally boots on the ground to be able to, uh, to do the development. But we also need to make sure that uh, inspections happen, that um, that uh, permitting happens, that um, that plans um, conform with, with the, the existing zoning. So um, all of that takes human resources. Speaking a little bit about Metro Vancouver, our region, bringing it up a little bit, I brought a motion to council not long ago, which got passed. And the motion spoke to um, the need to ask the Minister of Municipal Affairs, as well as Metro Vancouver, the the Mayor's Committee, to look at a review of the governance. And it's been a long time since Metro Vancouver's had a review. And part of my motion talked about how when Metro Vancouver was set up, it was like 950,000 people didn't have a huge, huge mandate. And now it's $2.6 billion budget and it's, it's incredibly large. What's your perspective on that in terms of um, whether or not you think it's time for Metro Vancouver to perhaps have a look at itself or perhaps even the province to have a look at Metro Vancouver to determine whether or not it's still from a governance perspective is meeting the needs of what it was initially set out to do? Well, first of all, I, I'm a director of, of Metro Vancouver uh, representing um, the whole region, not just the city of Vancouver, but I am one of uh, the ones that have been appointed from city, Vancouver City Council, um, including the mayor. Um, and Vancouver, in the sort of weighted vote system, has the most number of votes, but we as a city um, can't just decide that we are going to go it alone. We have to uh, work uh, collaboratively with other municipalities. And there have been some close votes on some decisions um, that have gone either way, um, uh, the way that... Um, uh, either me and my uh, fellow Vancouver uh, councillors uh, wanted to go or, um, or, or or opposed to it. And um, I guess part of me, uh, on the one hand, says never say never. There always has to be, I think, any institution should uh, be evaluated for its effectiveness, its um, how it spends its money, how, it, uh, how it's governed. And I think those are um, things that certainly can be uh, reviewed and looked at. But on the other hand, I kind of ask myself, you know, what is the the problem that we're trying to solve right now? Um, if if it's the the notion that um, that there's not a balance and things are not going the way of one particular part of the region or not, I would argue that it's actually been fairly balanced, uh, which is to say that, um, again, there has to be, you're seeing right now the uh, the chair and the vice chair are from relatively small municipalities, Delta being one of the larger ones, and George Harvey is the, is the chair. Uh, John McEwen is, I think, a very strong vice chair, and he is the mayor of Anmore, which is probably one of our smallest municipalities. And then you look at um, people like Brad West uh, and, uh, and Mike Hurley, and and other uh, mayors are around the region who are on the on that board and you know they have very strong voices um, so it's all well and fine for us to have uh, us and Surrey and other municipalities to have those additional votes at the end of the day um, it's really a case of us working together and collaborating so I would sort of say um, just going to a, uh, a system like, I think it was at one time, uh, uh, where you could vote an elected representative, but then you start getting into the potential for that uh, kind of balkanized politics where people are only representing their city instead of looking at what's the, the greater good for the whole. Um, Metro Vancouver is responsible um, for um, our waste management, um, both liquid and solid waste. 
Um, they have enormous uh, financial cost pressures on them right now with regard to um, uh, liquid waste treatment. That is going to be probably one of the biggest challenges that we're going to be facing in the uh, coming sort of decade or so with the Iona treatment plant that will be servicing um, uh, part of the North Shore, um, uh, City of Vancouver and Richmond and South Burnaby. And then again, I'm sort of getting into the watersheds a little bit. And then there's the North Shore wastewater treatment, which is um, gone over budget and is now subject to an, a, a review, an external review to try and understand a little bit better about where those cost savings might come from. Um, there was an, uh, there was a contractor and a disagreement that uh, uh, ended up in sort of legal action and, and uh, a new a subcontractor coming on uh, to 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 build the project, so um, I think that um, uh, those are big big um, issues that I think are going to be region wide ones that we're going to be sort of wrestling with. And there's also economic development. There's a um, a, a, a group in there called Invest Vancouver. Um, the city of Vancouver um, actually works very closely and is now working very closely with Invest Vancouver. It's a way for us to look at the entire region in terms of uh, attracting um, uh, business opportunities, investment, um, and also um, uh, you know finding which parts of the region are going to um, be the best for whatever type of uh, industry or, or, or business opportunity. So um, again, I think... Um, that is all kind of happening and working right now fairly well. Um, but again, um, I'm not close-minded to the opportunity of maybe reviewing and seeing how we can do that work better. Yeah, and I guess where I was coming at it from is it's uh, just, I consider it as really best practice to always review your governance structure over time. And it's just been so long since Metro Vancouver has. And also when I talk to a lot of people in Metro Vancouver, in particular in New Westminster, is they have no idea like how uh, Metro Vancouver is governed. Like so many people just have no idea where to go and who to approach um, if they have issues with with Metro Vancouver. So I, I'm, I'm hoping that the minister will uh, take up the request from the city of New Westminster and will actually conduct a review. And how and what that looks like, we'll have to see, assuming that they, they take this up. But um, I, I think it's a, it's a, I think the time has come for us to, to have a look. And at the end of the day, we might all agree that it just stays the same way. But for me, Mike, the, the aha moment for me on this, and one of the reasons why I brought the motion forward, was um, when we had that snowmageddon, the kind of the, the whole issue last year, uh, actually, I guess it was in 2022, uh, we had the big snowfall and there was just this, it was not coordinated in terms of the response and the preparation from my perspective. And it got very little interest from Metro Vancouver in terms of even in a review or kind of a public process to let the public know why our transportation system fell apart. And it got me thinking, well, of course, there's no interest in there because nobody wants to kind of like, you know, look at themselves and perhaps there might have been, you know, somebody might lay blame or whatever. But it wasn't a blame game. It was around getting to the facts of what happened. And for me, I thought Metro Vancouver does a lot of great work on sewers and water and all, all like what you said, and they're now into housing and, and all that stuff. But there's some other areas that perhaps the mandate could be expanded or perhaps areas where it shouldn't be. I don't know. But anyway, that's what, that was one of the reasons why. Yeah. I mean, Metro Vancouver does, again, it's a lot of things and you're right. Probably a lot of people are unclear on what uh, regional governments do all over the province. Um, they also manage uh, uh, quite a number of regional parks, uh, very popular ones. You mentioned housing. Um, 
And there's also a lot of work happening around reconciliation too, which is um, an, an undeniable um, an important sort of step that uh, we have to take as a region. And uh, so they're playing a, a, a big part in sort of um, uh, sort yeah. of handling that um, uh, important file as well. So um, we'll see. Yeah. Um, but um, uh, I, I, as far as snow clearing and removal, it's it's always a bit of um, uh, everybody gets to have bragging rights right now. We're not having any snow right now. We may have some later this winter, um, but uh, so far so good. But um, uh, I know that uh, our teams work very hard to try and clear the streets, but uh, it's really hard to get them all done. Well, Mike, you know how what they say is our snow removal system is the best in the world until it snows. Exactly. So. <laughs> Well, moving on to our next topic, I'd like to ask you to kind of look into the crystal ball, into specifically into Vancouver, your own uh, backyard, your own jurisdiction. And if I was to ask you kind of three issues or or, or things that you think will topic will uh, dominate some of the the topics of discussion at Vancouver City Hall next year, what would you um, think those might be looking ahead? Uh, I think that. Um, again, this, the ever-present conversation around getting housing built faster is, is going to continuously um, uh, be a, a very hot topic and one that will um, generate a lot of discussion in the council chamber and, um, you know, in the, in the sort of public dialogue. Um, I would say that um, people are always um, uh, eager to make sure that we have new services and infrastructure. I know that there was a really excited reaction to the... Um, uh, new West End uh, waterfront plan. Um, that's you know probably a number of years away, but you can see how important that um, those kind of public amenities, that access to the outdoors, um, and um, is is to uh, Vancouverites. Uh, we've got a new um, a Marpole Oak Ridge uh, Community Center that's broken ground just off of Oak Street, so that's a, kind of an exciting development. But there are many other infrastructure projects that are kind of waiting for capital funding. Um, for us to be able to update and upgrade those things. So people are always going to be um, sort of, you know, what have you done for me lately in terms of getting um, new projects uh, built in the ground? Uh, I think it's going to be interesting and exciting to see. It won't happen this year, but uh, we'll start to see more signs of it. Um, moving into 2025, when the um, the actual um, development of the uh, Broadway SkyTrain extension line is is completed, um, and uh, the, which is, is slated to happen in 2026, but at least on the surface, uh, they'll be able to have more regular patterns of traffic and parking, and and obviously the business areas that have been impacted by all that construction and road closures is is hopefully going to uh, rebound. Um, I would also um, say that um, uh, one of the areas that I think is going to be very interesting is that um, uh, Mayor Ken Sim established a budget um, task force with uh, a group of um, experts who volunteered their time and and have uh, put in several months of effort. um, And uh, we're going to be seeing the recommendations of the Mayor's Budget Task Force uh, early in 2024. And that'll be an opportunity for us to sort of bring it to the public and uh, for council to take a look at it and decide which of these recommendations are ones that we want to act on in the near term and the ones in the long term. Because the end goal is to just make sure that we're running a more efficient city and that we're uh, driving down the cost of, of uh, that, you know, that ratepayers are having to pay to live in the city. And I think um, 
I'm actually excited to see what they're going to bring forward. I have no idea what it is yet, but uh, I know that the people that they've got on that group uh, that are uh, representing um, um, a lot of different areas. We also have, uh, you know, um, liaisons from like, for example, the board of trade. Um, and I'm just, again, excited to see what the, um, what the recommendations are of the task force. So Mike, I was listening with great interest on the, the three issues that you mentioned. And the one issue that did dominate a lot of the media attention at the end of 2023 was the park board. But so do you not think that that will be a topic of discussion at city hall? Or do you think that's, that's, at, at City Hall, well, I, I would certainly think we um, need to continue to um, be discussing the future of our park system, as the mayor said. But I think that the, um, you know, we've seen some of the challenges, the, the Kitts Pool, we've seen other infrastructure, the, the roof falling off of the Aquatic Centre. The Aquatic Centre is has a plan currently that is going through and trying to figure out ultimately the, the scale and scope of it and how it gets funded. But that's another piece of infrastructure that's coming. I think that um, uh, the, the Vancouver aims to try and uh, create a, a structure of um, running and operating our, our, our parks like the, most other, in fact, the, the vast majority of municipalities do um, in, in, um, in the region and as well across the country and across the continent. And I think it's a real opportunity. There's, uh, there was a, a very telling uh, discussion during the uh, council debate um, question was posed to the city manager about um, uh, the notion of uh, why some parks were listed as temporary. Well, uh, I learned then, and and I think a lot of the public did, is that the reason they're temporary is because they have key critical civic infrastructure underneath. And whenever uh, you have the park board as the actual sort of owner and jurisdiction for that, it costs a lot of money and a lot of time. For the city to be able to um, actually have access to those things. Um, uh, in fact, um, uh, Paul Mokri, the city manager, described one particular project um, that after negotiations and delays ended up costing uh, millions in overruns because we have effectively two sort of sets of government there. So incorporating, um, I'm convinced that we're going to, uh, our city engineering team is going to have um, uh be able to, to work on, on uh, uh, park infrastructure uh, in the way that they haven't in the past. And uh, so I'm uh, supportive of where the mayor wants to go in this. I think uh, my fellow, several of my fellow councillors feel this strongly uh, in the same way. So um, I do, and of course, the, the final decision is, is going um, to be from the provincial government uh, with regards to the charter changes, um, but um, uh, we have uh, to present a, um, a, a go-forward plan on that, including our uh, relations uh, with the First Nations, and um, I'm, I'm convinced that that's all going to go very well. And from a perspective from New Westminster, I think um, some of them might overlap, but I think from, if I looked ahead to New Westminster, I think the issue of homelessness is going to be front and center again in 2024. The numbers that came out of the regional homeless count were just through the roof in terms of the number of homeless uh, unhoused uh, within the city of New Westminster. I think that'll be a topic. Secondly, I think um, the budget, uh, like like the city of, of Vancouver, we're struggling to get 
um, budgets, uh, you know, in the six, seven, eight, nine percent range, which is just un- like it's hard to me for even me to wrap my head around that. Like, mm-hmm. we're in, whereas a decade ago we were talking like two, three, four percent, and we're almost double that. So that'll be, I think, a, another topic. And then lastly, for New West, I think the opening of our largest. Uh, most expensive uh, civic project we've ever built, the Thomas Out um, Community Centre and Pool, is going to be, uh, I think, uh, very much front and centre in terms of it opening up midsummer. Uh, in and so I think those will be three things in in New West that'll be. Mm. Oh, well, we have lots of exciting things to look forward to. We've got Grey Cup coming. Um, we have uh, in twenty twenty five the Invictus Games, and of course the FIFA World Cup comes to the region. And I'm having sort of. Um, uh, uh, sort of memories of what, when we, you and I worked on uh, what was happening during the 2010 games and getting, you know, working to get people excited about all the on the ground opportunities uh, for, for being engaged in, in non sort of uh, sport related items. Um, but I just want to talk a little bit about the, the housing and homelessness piece, because you're absolutely right. The, the, the trend lines continue to go in the wrong direction for that. Um, it is, um, I think probably not, uh, totally aware uh, across the region, but uh, the city of Vancouver is now carrying 75% of the region's homelessness services just within the boundaries of our city. Um, I think that there is a, um, a very important conversation that I think the province is alive to, um, that we need to start making sure that we're not just concentrating all of those, uh, all those all that demand in one part of the region, um, which is to say that other municipalities are going to have to either uh, be responsible for shelter or for housing. We're taking on, we've approved, um, since I've been um, in council, I think we've approved up to three, possibly four uh, social housing buildings of uh, over 100 units each. Um, and there's still more to come. Um, but at the end of the day, um, you know, I think some of our neighbors as well um, have to, um, you know, be a part of the solution. And, you know, our friend Sam Sullivan talks a lot about how, how important it is to make sure that people are able to live closer to where they have family and where how they, you know, um, more con- community connections, um, because that's a way for them to rebuild that um, kind of social infrastructure around them that allows them to, to you know, to live um, um more um more safely and 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 to have better health outcomes so um yeah i'm again looking forward to having more of that discussion i'm sure that's one of the items that will come up on the uh, provincial campaign trail as well shifting back a little bit to the provincial election which is coming up in october Assuming for uh, a moment that you had the ability to insert a couple of items into the campaign platforms of all these provincial parties and something that would highly resonate uh, with Metro Vancouver urban dwellers, perhaps particularly in Vancouver, but if you had the ability to have a pen and to go in there and to write two things into the platform that you think would be highly popular, well-received by these provincial political parties um, in the upcoming election? What would those two things be? Boy, that's a lot of pressure on me for that one. <laughs> that, um, you know, there's one that um, I can think of right off the top of my head, which is I do think we need uh, the province to start um, talking about um, negotiating with the federal government and with local government on the Broadway extension going out to UBC. Um, it 
everybody just assumes that's a fait accompli, but, um, you know, that, um, boring machine, those two great big boring machines, um, Phyllis and Elsa, I can't remember the name of them, both of them are, uh, that are going underground right now and have just passed, uh, Granville, uh, Granville street, I gather on their way to the terminus at, uh, Broad and Cypress. Um, by the time that machine gets through the other end, it's going to be either they pull it out of the ground, take it apart and put it, you know, send it somewhere else at, at great cost. Or they say, we're going to keep, we're going to keep boring and we're going to go right down Broadway and we're going to get out to get out to UBC. And of course we've got the Jericho land um, proposals. There are, are, are really quite significant amount of housing development that they are um, seeking out there. Um, and then um, UBC is growing just unbelievable rate uh, right now, and it needs that uh, that permanent uh, rapid transit infrastructure. So I would say that if, if, if uh, uh, people in the Premier's office are listening, um, that is one thing. Um, uh, and, and also the leader of the opposition, I want them to be talking about how they're going to try and get that that project built. Um, I also do feel like uh, we have been taking on, as I mentioned before, a, a, you know, quite a disproportionate burden in terms of the downloading of um, the costs for childcare um, and for uh, mental health and addiction services. I think they are uh, falling onto um, local governments and um, and making it much harder for us to um, to keep sort of taxes and more affordable. So I would, I would expect um, some kind of uh, financial commitments around making sure that those services, uh, um, I personally have um, been collaborating uh, with uh, Councillor Lisa Dominato on trying to drive the childcare uh, file in council for, for our governing caucus. And, um, you know, while we're making progress on this one, it still needs to have uh, more provincial commitments to be able to to realize some of those spaces that are again going to make uh, life more affordable in the city. So, those are kind of my big ones right now. I'm I'm sure I'm missing a whole bunch of them, but I, I would say that if we can if we can make good progress on the childcare file and uh, on on that big piece of rapid transit infrastructure, in addition to all the other uh, big moves on housing that are happening right now, I think those would uh, resonate very well with uh, with Vancouverites. Mm-hmm. And I think I agree with you. Uh, and I think if I could add to that, if I had the pen to be able to add stuff uh, into the platform, um, uh, there's three things I would say. One is that the provincial government makes a commitment to uh, refund uh, urban uh, centers for all identified downloaded costs that uh, the provincial government has downloaded onto cities to pay for. And I mean, that's a dream, And but that's why I get the pen and I get to write it into the platform. But I think that... Um, Vancouver did a fantastic report a number of years ago uh, quantifying the amount of downloading that the provincial government has on the city. And it was in, I think, the neighborhood of a quarter of a billion dollars. And this was like three, four years ago. I can only imagine that it's gone up since then. The the It would be, I would dare say, uh, from a, uh, a city perspective, similar in places like New Westminster and other cities, but just at a smaller scale. Secondly, I, I think that tying infrastructure dollars to densification and cities that are taking on that density and are prepared to make the difficult decisions and challenges and do it quickly. I think there should be um, an opening of the infrastructure bank and a vault for those communities that if they need the extra water, sewer, other parks, libraries, pools, that um, the provincial parties make that commitment that those dollars will flow and will follow from that, from that. And lastly, just huge new uh, dollars and commitments on affordable housing. Um, People need to see that being built sooner rather than later. And if I was able to 
have the pen and mark that into the platforms, I would say that very specific and targeted um, numbers around investments in affordable housing in the province. I just, just reflecting on what you said there in that last piece, I, 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 we don't talk much about home ownership these days. Um, and that's, and there's good reason for that. It's extraordinarily expensive to make a down payment on a, on a new home, um, and on a home purchase. So, um, that's an area affordable home ownership is a conversation that has come up a lot in my sort of 14 months in office. Um, and, um, as a result, I'm currently looking at, um, potential opportunities. Um, you know, there, there'll be a small start, maybe, you know, maybe a hundred or a few dozen, uh, homes to start with, but I think there, we definitely need to start looking at more attainable housing um, that people can um, have and invest in and 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 um, and yeah. own. So, yeah. Well, you and I both have. Uh, we each have one child, uh, and both are in their twenties, in their in their um, uh, early twenties. And you know, I've had these tough conversations with my son, and he's looking around, going, "Where do I live? Like, where mm-hmm. do I when I leave home? Where do I go?" And I'm sure your daughter's in the similar boat. And yet, we're both fairly successful people, and and our kids are very you know smart they're 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 doing all the right things getting educated etc and yet they're struggling um to figure out where they're going to reside so that whole issue of affordable housing is disenfranchising a whole generation of kids that are just looking around going i can't live in metro vancouver and i don't want i don't want my city to be a city where my son has to move to calgary or to edmonton or winnipeg or wherever because they can't afford to live here so we need to do more it's um, no question. It is uh, the one of the great challenges of our time, and it's one that I think about uh, continuously. How do we find ways for uh, people to be able to stay here? Um, and whether it's just making sure that we develop more housing supply, bringing, um, bringing uh, more affordable rent, rental into to the marketplace as well. But yeah, we need to do, and, and childcare is another big piece of it, but um, we've got to find ways. Um, otherwise, we're going to lose some of our best and brightest to, to other cities. You live in Vancouver, I live in New Westminster, and I thought a fun question for for this podcast would be to ask two elected officials who represent um, two very different cities in the Metro Vancouver area, if they had to, if you had to move, and you had to leave Vancouver, God forbid, you had to leave Vancouver, and I said you had to move somewhere else in the Metro Vancouver area, what city would you uh, take the U-Haul to, and, and why? Well, knowing myself, first of all, I, I, I don't really like driving and commuting around very much. I'm kind of lucky in that most of my activity is kind of surrounded around East Vancouver where I live. Um, but also, you know, um, a little bit of Burnaby and sometimes, um, downtown West side. But, um, so I just, um, I would like to have a, a community that is walkable as possible shopping nearby, um, places that I can either dine out or meet with friends or, or family, um, and so, and I also, um, you know, as somebody who likes to be sort of physically active, I like to be able to get down to the waterfront. I like to be able to, uh, either walk or jog or, or just, and so the, um, I have to say, um, uh, and, and hats off to the, the, the people who've done the hard work to make it happen. But, um, uh, the city of North Vancouver's, um, uh, shipyard district is really, um, I think set the bar for, kind of urban, um, you know, development, uh, at the waterfront. Uh, you know, I think we look across the water longingly and, and someday hope that maybe, um, you know, our central waterfront will be as, is nice. There's certainly a lot of interesting, um, energy and discussion around that right now. 
Um, but uh, I like, um, and I actually have, you know, many uh, friends and some family that live over in the North Shore as well. So that's that's one uh, area that I would like. I mean, it's not to take away from anything else. New Westminster is lovely, um, and uh, there are a lot of a lot of great communities. I think of uh, Steveston has that kind of nice waterfront access, that walkability that we all kind of um, really yearn for. Um, but um, that would be sort of my top pick is uh, the city of North Vancouver. And, and again, I love the district of North Vancouver too. My <laughs> mother-in-law lives there, but uh, um, that would be probably my my first choice when you ask me that question. Yeah, it's very, very good choice. Um, from my perspective, if I had to leave New Westminster, again, God forbid, if I had to leave the, the Royal City, um, there's two cities that kind of pop up for me and it was kind of close, but then not so much. Um, the first one was White Rock. I, I love White Rock. I love the size of the city. It's small. It's very compact, uh, fairly dense, beautiful ocean side. It's got that just that small town community feel in a big urban center. But the one that I that ended up edging out uh, White Rock and primarily because of transit, because of a SkyTrain and, and access to the Evergreen Line, and that's Port Moody. I love what Port Moody has done around attracting the um, the brew houses and the restaurants. It's got this really cool urban feel. It's kind of hip. It's got SkyTrain stations. It's near uh, the ocean. You're, you can, you're minutes to the North Shore. You can be out hiking. And it's got, again, that nice small size of city where it's, um, it's in a big urban center, but it feels small. So for me, it would be Port Moody as my, my number one, my number one pick. All right. Mike, uh, you indicated that you've been in office now in this, you've been elected to city council like myself for just a little over a year. Um, and I know when I was on, uh, you had me on your podcast and, and, and you asked me this question. So I figure it's only fair for me to ask you the same question. So you've been in for a little over a year. Um, any surprises, anything that jumps out at you that you hadn't really anticipated uh, before you got elected? Um, yeah, when I think about this question, um, kind of a couple of things come to mind. One is, and I've said this to many of my colleagues and I've said it to um, people who are in the provincial government, I've been following municipal politics, as many people know, for a long time, at least a couple of decades. I haven't seen um, as collaborative a relationship um, between Vancouver City Hall and the provincial government like I have in this one. And I think that's very positive because a lot of people had, you know, they thought people would kind of go into their political corners and, and that there would be some some tension there. But what I have seen is it's been extraordinarily collaborative. And I'm going to give um, the mayor, Ken Sim, a lot of credit for this. Uh, I think Ken learned very, first of all, Ken didn't really come from politics uh, like many of us have. And, and so it was kind of a foreign kind of concept for him that you would want to be political. And one of the first things he said, he says, we're not going to be political. We are basically all going to try and see that we're on the same team. And he repeats that constantly in almost every context. He talks about all of our council, not just the ABC councillors, uh, but he also has um, a, a really disarming way of just sort of saying, I'm here, I'm here and, and with no expectations. And so I've seen that work when he's in, in his relationships with uh, our, our, our key uh, labor union leadership, uh, with our First Nations leadership, and with uh, the provincial leadership as well. So, And also the federal government as well. I know that 
um, last year during Lunar New Year, so it's almost coming up on a year for that. Um, there was that kind of first meeting that was caught on on a, on camera with um, Ken and uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, where they just kind of went to a back room, had a little chance to talk. They've had several conversations since, and so again, it's it's really interesting to see how Vancouver, uh, just by sort of keeping that kind of open arms approach um, led by the mayor, is is um, having I think some really positive. Um, outcomes for us. We're, we're getting, we're getting stuff done and, uh, and it's partly because of that great relationship. So to close this out, uh, wrap up this podcast, um, I thought, uh, I, I typically ask people at the beginning of the podcast, like who's Mike Lawson, but I'm, so I've kind of flipped it around. So I'm going to kind of ask at the end, but kind of like, who is Mike Lawson? And is there one thing about Mike Lawson that people might not know that if they did know, they'd be kind of amused about or maybe surprised to learn that uh, that was connected to my closet. Oh, boy. Um, well, uh, I always used to joke that I've had many lives because I'm old enough that I've had probably multiple different uh, hats and different careers. But um, I'm going to go way back to um, when I was more or less out of university. And um, I had um, the, the film industry was sort of taking off. And I was like a lot of uh, people back then I had, I used to love watching, you know, daytime television and, and, uh, or, or, you know, regular kind of, uh, primetime television, I should say, and, and, uh, and movies. And, uh, the fact that we had an industry that was sort of kicking into gear at that time with a, a couple of major studios moving up to Vancouver, that was, a, a kind of a cool time for me. And again, I didn't stay with it for a long period of time, only a few years, but I got to work with some, uh, very interesting, uh, on some interesting projects some major films. I was on film sets with John Travolta and uh, uh, Kirstie Alley with Look Who's Talking, which went on to become a huge smash hit. Um, uh, and um, and also was um, you know a runner on the on the MacGyver show, which is kind of hilarious to me. Uh, I got to chat with Johnny Depp back in the day when he was uh, filming his first TV show, Twenty One Jump Street. Uh, but one of the kind of the f- funny memories I had is when I ended up working on a TV commercial, and it was for remember Canadian Airlines, uh, which was eventually absorbed in Air Canada. Really quickly, the um, they brought in a top level Canadian director and and. Uh, from Quebec named Jean-Claude Lezon. Uh, Jean-Claude was a just in a magnetic um, uh, person. He was he had done a, um, I believe the movie was called Leolo, had really caught everybody's attention at the time for just being this beautiful kind of lyrical um, cinema. And so he was kind of the hot ticket. When I met him, he had this kind of black hair to his shoulders. I think he was part Iroquois. I wish I remember all of it, but he was, he just had so much charisma on the set and he had uh, on the whole crew was from the city of Montreal. And they're all, of course, like a lot of Montrealers, really stylish, well-dressed, very sophisticated. So I got to work on this crew. And one of the scenes that they wanted to uh, shoot was with a, um, a portaging um, person in a canoe. So like it was the, the whole theme of it was the history of Canada. So they got me as kind of the locations guy to go and find this place. So it ended up going up to Alouette um, uh, Lake where Gold Creek goes in there. And it was literally the coldest I ever remember being in the city of Vancouver. And I looked on the, on the weather records. It was early February, 1989, I believe. I'll have to check that. And yeah, it was then. And the temperature went so cold during that period of time that 
Um, the wind chill, they say, in the Fraser Valley was around minus 40 because mm-hmm. it was blowing so hard. And I had gone the night before to set up tents to make sure that we could have a little place to be comfortable. I got there the next morning. The entire river was frozen over. Like, imagine a running creek wow. was was completely ice. So we got there the next morning and having to bust it out with oars and try to just to get enough of a shot there. And, of course, they were shooting on film, and we had to kind of do these different takes. So at the end of the day, we ended up having uh, an, an amazing after party, a rap party, as they call it, in the film. And so I got the, the first time I ever really got to kind of engage with, with Jean-Claude. And, and sadly, um, he perished in a, in a, in a plane crash um, a few years later. And, the, and I think Quebec and Canada lost one of its great artists in the film industry. He would have gone on to much bigger and greater things. But I just have that that fond memory of that time in my life and, and one of the more standout times when I was working in the film industry. Mike, thank you so much for uh, participating in the uh, For the Record podcast. Um, it's great to have you on. I know that uh, I will have you back on again. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to carve out some of your busy time to come back onto the, the podcast. Um, I'm watching very closely what you're doing in uh, Vancouver, as are a lot of folks and, and your colleagues. And I'm sure 2024, as you've so aptly noted today, will be uh, an interesting year in the city of Vancouver and and uh, in places like New Westminster and throughout our entire region. So thank you so much for agreeing to come on uh, for the record today. My pleasure. And, uh, and uh, thanks uh, to your listeners as well for uh, this opportunity to talk about the cities that we love. You've been listening to For the Record with Daniel Fontaine. The opinions expressed in this podcast are my own and not necessarily representative of New Westminster City Council. Thanks for tuning in.